Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So let's go into the Word and look at Acts chapter 9. What I want to do is read the whole scripture and then we can go back to it. Acts chapter 9 verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this guy, about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show Paul him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. And God proclaimed the gospel, the word of the Lord. So just a recap of what we talked about, just a little bit of background. Jesus ascended into heaven, right? And his disciples were in the upper room. And he said, go wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. The Holy Spirit comes into them. And Peter preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. Peter preaches another sermon, more people get saved. The church is booming. You talk about igniting something, a church, a movement, this is it. And it's not by Peter's doing or any of the disciples. It's all about God. God's in the background working everything out for his glory for the kingdom. And then... We, we find out the first martyr, and also we see Saul come into the picture. And in, in uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 8, Saul was uh, appearing in the picture, and he was going out, and he was asking the high priest, hey, give me the letter so I can go and bring these people, which is called the way, before they became Christians, because they were following Christ. He says, give me these letters so I can go out and bring these people back in because they need to know the true gospel, and that's not it. And so Saul, on his way to Damascus, encounters Jesus miraculously, right? And we talked about how we encounter Jesus in our lives. I can tell you about how I encountered Jesus and how he changed my life. He changed my family's life. And he's changing the people around me and how he encounters your life and how he has changed you and transformed you 
into the person he wants to use. Right? Just like Saul, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is after us. So a little bit about Paul, just to recap so we understand, we really know what he's all about. Paul was born in Tarsus, a city in the Roman province in Cilicia, which is modern-day Turkey. He was born into a Jewish family, right? And his, his original name was Saul. He probably got that from uh, his parents naming him after the first king of Israel, which is Saul, King Saul. And Saul was a prosecutor of believers. That's what his goal was during this time, as we read. So Paul was a zealous Pharisee and a persecutor of the early church. He actively sought to imprison and harm Jesus' followers and uh, considering them a threat to traditional Judaism, right? So these people known as the way, as Christians, they were a threat to Saul and uh, his religion. But he doesn't know he was going up against who his religion is based off of, and that is Jesus himself. Which the scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the whole book of the whole scriptures talks about and points us to Jesus, points us to a person, not to a religion, not to a way, but to a person. You are here because of a person named Jesus. That's why I'm here is because of a person named Jesus. I'm not here because the Calvary movement started and I was came into that movement. No, 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 no. Calvary is here because of Jesus. And so we saw the conversion of uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, right? And traveling to Damascus to arrest believers, Paul had, tran- Paul had an amazing encounter with the Lord Jesus. How many of us have been transformed that Jesus showed up to us? Like physically showed up and said, hey, what are you doing? I'm Jesus, I'm the Lord. <laughs> How many of us can say that? One person, this guy. That is amazing to me that God would intervene in this guy's life. The worst of the worst we can see. You know, think of the worst person that we can think of in our mind. Put this guy in that place. God intervenes, comes down, and meets Saul. The experience caused a radical change in Saul beliefs and turn him into a devoted follower of Christ. That's amazing to me. You know, not only he can turn Saul to himself, but he turns us to himself, right? He turns us to himself. And Paul went on these, Paul's an an amazing guy. And following his conversion, Paul became an apostle and a missionary. He dedicated his life spreading the message of Jesus Christ to both the Jews and the Gentiles He undertook several missionary journeys traveling throughout the eastern Mediterranean and Roman provinces, establishing Christian communities and churches and sharing the gospel, who is Jesus. That's what he was doing. You know what? Paul's an amazing guy. He he penned the New Testament that we have, which is 27 books or 27 letters. He penned 13 of those letters. Almost half of the New Testament that we have, that we have our theology from, our teachings from, comes from this guy that God transformed. Ain't that amazing? Comes from him. 
The guy who went out to persecute the believers, God, Jesus intervened in his life. And he writes half, more, almost half of the New Testament for us. And that's where we get grace. You know, with, you, we come to Jesus by faith with grace. We don't bring anything to the table. He's the one who's done the work, who's done the work for us. You see that Paul, he penned several letters or epistles which are now part of the New Testament. These letters such as Romans, I love the book of Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. You know, these were written to various communities of these new, the new movement called the Way, the church. And Paul is writing to them. They provide theological teachings and practical guidance and moral exhortations to the early Christians. Not only to them, but to us here today in Lubbock, Texas, right? Paul's writings and teachings played a major role in shaping Christian theology. What we know about God, we, we know a lot of it from Paul's teachings through his letters. So he expounded on key concepts such, such as justification by faith, the role of the law, the grace of God, and the transforming power of Jesus' sacrifice. Those are just some of the things. Every time I think about that, I am blown away that God could take somebody and use them in such a great and mighty way. And I could think about my life, God, or what are you going to do with me in your kingdom? How can I be used like that? We're going to see that as we go through the scriptures this morning. So although Paul had some conflicts and disagreements with uh, other early church leaders, right? He also worked alongside them to establish and strengthen the early church. He met with uh, the prominent apostles such as Peter, James, and John, and they recognized that Paul was chosen just like them. They recognized that Paul was chosen by Jesus just like them because they had a prejudice towards Paul because of what Saul was doing um, to the early church. So Paul faced many opposition, persecutions, imprisonment throughout the, his ministry. And according to tradition, he was eventually arrested in Rome where he wrote some of the, his final letters, his final letters to the churches. It's believed that he was beheaded under the uh, Roman emperor Nero around 60, 67 AD, making him a martyr for Jesus, the guy who saved him. Remember, he was at, when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was put to death, he was there. And now he gets to participate in giving his life for this man, for his Savior, Jesus Paul faced many trials, many tribulations. And he ultimately gave his life for this man, his Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we look in the scriptures, I want to pull out seven points as we go through these verses. And I want us to really understand and undertake what God did for Saul he can do for you and I. Because Saul was nobody special. Just like we come to church and we feel like we were insignificant. Nobody sees us. There's only one person that needs to see us. 
That's God himself. In verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. You know, in this verse, we encounter a faithful disciple named Ananias. And this guy only appears in Scripture right here. This is his major, um, this is where God uses him in the life of Saul. And the Lord appears to Ananias in the vision, calling him by name. Notice Ananias' response. Here I am, Lord. His willingness to listen and obey sets the stage for this extraordinary encounter between Ananias and Saul. What I want to point out in this verse 10 is Ananias was just a disciple, like you and I here sitting in church. You don't have to be a super duper superhero believer for God to use you. We're ordinary people that with a God that does extraordinary things, he uses people that are ordinary. Just like he uses Saul, he was worse than the ordinary. He was the total opposite. Because why? Because God gets the glory and nobody else. Because we can be encouraged today in Lubbock, Texas, that if God can save a guy like Saul, he can save you no matter where you're at. You may feel unworthy if you're here this morning. You don't have a relationship with God. You don't have an intimate following with him. You don't know him. You can meet him here this morning. And it's transforming. It's empowering. Ananias says, here I am, Lord. His willingness to listen and obey sets the stage for him. The first point I want to make is a willingness to respond, right? A willingness to respond. Be ready. Be ready. Be available. Ananias' readiness to respond to God's call serves as a powerful example for us. Are we willing to say, Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Right? When God prompts us to step out in faith, to share his love or to serve others, let us respond with the same readiness and obedience that Ananias did right here. He was willing, his willingness to respond to God. He says, here I am, Lord. What about you and I? God prompts us throughout our lives to step out into faith in certain situations. Do we say, here I am, God, or God, I'm just too busy for that right now. God, I have other priorities in my life right now. God, that is such an inconvenience for me to do right now. May it not be. In verse 11, it says, And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas... Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So Ananias is taken back when God tells him, hey, get up and go to this guy named Saul. I'm going to use him. But Ananias already knows who Saul is, right? The letters that Paul, that Saul is carrying up to Damascus probably had Ananias' name on there to be arrested. And Ananias knows uh, Saul's reputation. He says, Forget that, Lord. I don't know. I don't know. God, are you sure? Are you sure? 
God, is this really you? Don't we do that in our lives? When God promises to do something? God, I don't know if this is you, but if it's you, I need another confirmation. If it's you, God, I need for you to do something else. God, if it's you, I need the, it's cloudy outside. I need the clouds to just clear right when I walk outside. (laughs) Walk by faith. Ananias is learning that. We should too. Rise and go to a street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. What is Saul doing? Remember, Jesus came down. If I was in Saul's position, I would be scared like crazy. I'd be like, what? What? He's probably confused. I know he's fearful because he met the living God. Scared. He's so fearful that he doesn't eat. He doesn't drink water for three days. And Saul's praying. That shows us we should be people of prayer, right? Before Saul became Paul, before he was transformed, keep in mind, he was a Pharisee. This guy knew way more Bible than I could ever forget. This guy knew the scriptures. His prayers were probably like really eloquent. It was like when you hear that guy pray, man, that guy prays. I want to pray just like him. Forget that. God wants you to be real in your prayers. With him. How many times do we pray to God and we're not real with God? Here's the crazy thing. He, know, he already knows what's going on in your life. He already knows what's going on in your heart. If you have bitterness in your heart this morning, he knows it. And what do we do as, as uh, God's people? We have this bitterness or jealousy or whatever heart condition that we have and we go and pray Oh, God, please bless me and bless my friends and bless the church. We're praying like Saul before he became Paul. It's all an act. God wants all of you when you pray. He doesn't want you to come and say eloquent prayers and to make yourself feel good. Sometimes when I, when I come to God, if I'm going through, God, please help me with this. When my thoughts run wild, and you know, your thoughts lead into actions. When my thoughts start to run wild, God, please help me with my thoughts. God, please help me with this bitterness against this person. God, please help me with jealousy God, please help me because right now I'm really not a loving guy. God, please help me because I really have me having a hard time loving people right now. Right? Paul is really praying. All his other prayers before that, now he's getting real with God. He's probably saying, oh, he's being real with God. 
God met him. He's being transformed. When we pray, let's, let's be honest with God, right? Let's be honest with God. When we have uh, relationship issues with our spouse, with our kids, bring it to God. He can take it. When we have issues within the church, somebody has hurt you in the church, bring it to God. He can take it. When, if you're here this morning and you just have an issue with somebody in this church, a brother and sister, they are your brother and sister. Be real with God. Hey, God, I don't have the strength <laughs> to deal with this person. I don't have the, the love to deal with this person. Would you please help me, God? God's looking for honesty in our prayers. So in this verse, the Lord gives Ananias specific instructions, right? He tells him to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, where Saul is praying. This command may have seemed confusing to Ananias. It would be confusing to me, as Saul was known for persecuting the church. God often leads us to unexpected places and people, right? God leads you to unexpected places and people. He challenges us to step out of our comfort zones and, and encounter those who may seem unlikely candidates for his kingdom. The person you think that God can't use, God can use them. And he wants you to step out and be a witness or to be an encourager. So we have a willingness to respond. Point number two is God's surprising appointment. God has divine appointments for us, right? I can think in my life how many appoint, divine appointments that God has put in my life. Some I've taken, I've, uh, I've been obedient to and, you know, took the step of faith. Others I was like fearful of and didn't do anything, but I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me, I need for you to do this. The same way with your life as well. Divine appointments, verses 12 and 14 says this. And he has seen, the he here is Saul, has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this guy. You want me to go see this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. It amazes me that God is working in both Ananias and Saul at the same time. He gives them the same vision. He's giving Ananias confirmation. So God tells uh, Ananias, hey, the same vision I gave you, I gave Saul. So get up and go. Are you going to be obedient? Ananias, I'm thinking, he's looking, he's looking like, are you sure, God? God, are you sure? He's getting confirmation after confirmation from God to go. Hey, get up and go. I have my plans are perfect. 
And you, if you're obedient, get to participate in it. If not, I'm going to get somebody else. God's plan will be successful with you or without you. His sovereignty will get it handled. Now, are we as children of the Lord obedient to the calling or to the promptings that he's telling us to do? Right? Are we obedient? Do we step out in faith like Ananias? Yeah, sure, we may question, God, are you sure you want me to go speak to that guy? Man, God, that guy at work, I do not want to be around that guy because he is the worst. He rubs me the If I just look at him, I'm already having a bad day. God, I don't think that guy can be saved. I don't know. Don't send me, God. Don't send me. Send somebody else. Step out. God gives them both the same vision. That would encourage me to step out. So Ananias expresses his concern to the Lord, acknowledging that Saul's reputation as a persecutor of believers. He raises valid objections, right? But God reassures Ananias of his plan for Saul's transformation. He says, Ananias, I'm going to use you because this guy is going to make an impact for my kingdom. Point number three I want to make here is overcoming our fear and our prejudice towards people, right? We have fear and prejudice towards people. We do. Because I know I do, and if I do, you do as well. Like, I get along with certain people, but other people like, oh gosh, I cannot stand those people. I cannot stand those people. But God is telling me, hey, overcome your fear, Overcome you being prejudiced towards them because I want to use you. You see, Ananias' initial hesitations are relatable to us, right? Fear and prejudice hinders us from embracing the opportunities that God can use us in. God calls us to overcome these barriers, trusting in his power to change hearts and lives. What is our job? Uh, what is our response to this church? Let us be willing to set aside our prejudices and fears, embracing God's powerful work, what he wants to do through you, what he wants to do through me. Fear, and prejudice, right? We need to be in a state where we're content within our relationship with Jesus that when he calls us to do something, that fear and prejudice are not part of what we use to decide rather to do it or not. In verse 15 it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to call to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. There again, God says, go. How many times is God telling this guy, hey, you need to go. You need to go. Just go. Be obedient. And then when I read this, I'm like, you know, I would think, 
God, why did you choose Paul? Why not Peter? You know, he was already established. Why not James? Why not John? Why did you, why did you choose Saul to write 13 of the epistles of the New Testament? He was a major impact of what we know today about God, about Jesus. Why did you use him? And I'm thinking to myself, man, if God chose the worst of the worst, then those who think they're the best of the best, he can use them as well. You know, there are people in this world, in this city of Lubbock, that have it all together, right? They have a great family, great careers. You look at their life and you think, man, that's the American dream right there. I want what they have. You know what? They need more. They need Jesus just as much <laughs> as the worst of the worst. Sometimes more. Right? Because it's hard for people because of pride and where they're at in life to come to Jesus because I've got my life together. I, I don't need Jesus. That broken guy, that broken down guy, the drug addict, that girl who's sleeping around, that, that guy with the messed up life, they're the ones who need Jesus. No, you really need Jesus. You know what we call those? That attitude? A Pharisee attitude. Sometimes I have it in my heart. I look at people and I say, man, they just, ugh. I've told them over and over again how to be good. God. Oh, yeah. God's speaking to me. Man, you sound like the Pharisee. You sound like the religious leaders of my time. How they always pointed out what was wrong with everybody else. My wife can attest to that. I can point out all the, uh-huh. Oh, babe, you need to do this. You need to do that. She just looked at me. Oh, hmm. Sometimes they say, you need to practice what you preach. And I say, well, let's go to God in prayer and be honest about it. Is this speaking to you this morning? Is God, are you hearing from God this morning? Not for me, but from the scriptures, right? Verse 16, 17 says this, for I... God will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me here so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the outcome of being obedient to God. The 
the confirmation for Ananias to go. God tell him, go. I chosen this guy. He's mine. Go. You don't know the details. You don't know the background. You don't need to. You need to trust me and go. He tells Ananias, you know what? You know why I chose Saul? And he's going to do mighty things. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for me. Ananias obediently goes to Saul, addresses him as a brother, and prays for his sight to be restored and for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Ananias' response to Saul models the grace and the restoration we should extend to those who have caused us harm, right? What is, and Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 12 to pray for our enemies. Ah, that's the last thing I want to do is pray for my enemy. Oh, we were watching uh, the Sound of Freedom movie, right? And my wife asked me afterwards, she was like, is it okay for me to pray to cause harm to people who cause harm to kids? That's a deep question. I'm like, oh, let me go into my Bible and research that. Give you a theological. <laughs> Be honest with God. Why did Jesus come to earth to save? He didn't come to judge. He came to save the lost, to redeem the broken. He will come to judge. Thank God it's not yet. So point number five here is we need to show and extend grace and restoration to not only our enemies, right? But how about to your family? <laughs> the ones who, like, you really get into it at times. I have brothers and sisters, so I know. I'm always right, but they're wrong. <laughs> and God is telling me, you know what? You need to extend that grace, extend that restoration to rebuild that relationship you, you have within your own family. What about people in the church that hurt you, that you don't get along with? What are we supposed to do? Extend grace, restoration. It's hard to love people. I can love you if you love me back. Or if you're loving to me, man, I'll be the best, like, uh, best friend ever. It's hard to love people, right? It is. Because people are emotional. You know, I have a certain type of personality, at least that's what people around me say. So if you're just too hard on people at work, especially, you're just, I'm like, no. If I tell you to do your job, you do your job. That's this. It's black and white to me. If you're here, do your job. If you do your job, 
I'll be your best friend. If you're not doing your job, then we have an issue. <laughs> God's telling me, you know what? Maybe you need to communicate better of how you address that situation, how you address that person at work or address your spouse. Work on your communication, buddy. I confess, I need to work on communication because to me, everything is just black and white. It's, there's no in-between, even when it comes down to sinful things. It's, what does the Bible say? That's why I always tell people, well, well, what do you think about this? Oh, my feelings, my feelings. Forget your feelings. What does the Bible say? Your feelings will lead you to sin. What does the Bible say about that feeling, about the situation you're in? Go there. Extend grace and restoration. Verse 18 and 19, part of 19, it says, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, taking food. He was strengthened. You know, there's a time to rest, right? Like Pastor Ben just went on a vacation. I don't really think he was on a vacation mode or mood or like when he's he's responsible for this church, right? Even though you're away, because I feel like that. And I'm, you know, when I'm away from my house, like if I'm in California and my house is there, especially if my wife's at home. My thoughts are always running like, what are they doing? Is she okay? Is everything good? It's not like my thoughts are, that occupies my thoughts. Saul had a time of rest when Jesus met him. Three days and three nights, he was just, he was in an attitude, in, in prayer. He had time to spend with God. God showed him what, what he's going to go through. God basically gave him the playbook of his life. We know the playbook of our lives. Ultimately, there's a time to rest, a time to work, right? Three days he was blind without no food, no water, and he had the opportunity of just getting rid of everything going on in his life and just him and Jesus communing. Sometimes we need to do that. Especially, you know, ministry stuff. You could just do ministry just for the sake of doing ministry. Forget Jesus. We forget the person that we do the ministry for and we're focused on our ministry. You see, Saul's sight is restored, and it shows us the inward transformation that has taken place in his life. He responds to this by being baptized and getting up and getting food and water and just rejuvenating his body. Point number six is embrace our new life in Christ. Saul's given the playbook of his life. He has the answers to life, and that answer is Jesus. So Saul's immediate response to his transformation was to embrace what God has planned for him. 
this shows us how important it is to actively participate in the Christian journey that God has called you and I to, right? As believers, let us embrace the scriptures. Let us embrace his word. Let us embrace and seek spiritual nourishment and grow in our faith with God. Because that, that's what's important for us as believers. A new life in Christ. Verse 19 and 20, the rest of 19 and 20 says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This is Saul. He was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And I'm thinking to myself, man, Saul saw Jesus, met Jesus, and for three days he was communing with God. And after he rested, he went to work. After Jesus has restored and rest, and he rested spiritually, this guy went to work because it says immediately he begins proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. Saul's now transformed into Paul. And right away, he doesn't say, you know what, I need a time off. I need to go learn more scriptures. He already knows all the Old Testament. He already knows scripture. He doesn't say, I'm going to go and get ready. I'm going to go uh, get a four-year degree. Uh, in theology so I can know all the important words and impress you guys. He said no. He went to the temple. And what did he do? He preached Jesus. See how simple it is? How do we, how do you and I take a point out of this? Point number seven, this is the last point. I'm going to close out with the illustration. The last point is share Jesus. Paul's response to his, his response to his encounter with Jesus should challenge us to boldly proclaim Jesus in our sphere of influence, in our communities, right? Our transformed lives and testimonies have the power to impact others and invite them to encounter life-changing power of what Jesus has done. Point number seven, tell your story. You know, I, I have a sales background and in my sales, I always like, you know, they tell, when in training, they tell you warm people up to make the sale. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm looking at them like, man, I don't need to do that. I'm just authentic with customers. Hey, you don't need this car. It's too expensive for you. Let me show you something here. Hey, this car is a gas guzzler. Let me show you something that you need. Let's not look at that. It's too, way too expensive. I don't want to sell you this car and pick it up three months down the road. Let's find you something you can afford. In your life, it could be totally different. Be honest and genuine with how you share your story. And the first thing we do is we live our lives. Do we live a life that shows Jesus? Right? Because people look. People check us out. And if you're a poser or a Pharisee or a faker in your walk, people know that. 
Trust me. I've, ha- I've been called out. Man, you're such a poser. You're a... That's the worst thing you want to be called is something who's, somebody who's fake. Proclaim Jesus. Live for Jesus. Challenging, right? I'm gonna close out with this. So Jesus encounters Saul, change him, he becomes Paul. He writes almost half of the New Testament. Most of our theological teachings come from the books that he writes. And this is why he writes this, right? Uh, if you want to put up the lip, and it's so funny how God works. The next book that Pastor Ben's gonna go through is Philippians. This is the key scripture I want to leave with you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and he said it this morning. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you hear that, church? To live your life in Lubbock, Texas, is to live for Christ, to die is gain. Where did he get this? His encouragement, his Motivation is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, coming to earth with a clear sense of purpose, right? He understood his mission to bring salvation, redemption, reconciliation between God and mankind. From a young age, Jesus embraced his purpose, growing in wisdom and stature and consistently aligning his life and the will of his life with his Heavenly Father, right? And throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus demonstrated unwavering commitment to his purpose. He taught with authority, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, calling people to repentance. Jesus lived a life of compassion and love, healing the sick, restoring the sight to the blind, freeing the oppressed. Paul understood this, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Despite facing challenges, oppositions, and even betrayal, Jesus, whom Paul followed, remained steadfast in fulfilling his purpose. He willingly sacrificed himself on the cross, bearing the weight of humanity's sin and offering forgiveness and reconciliation to all who would believe in him. Jesus, that's who Paul is following. Jesus' purpose extended beyond his earthly ministry, right? His ultimate purpose was to reconcile mankind with God and provide eternal life through his death and resurrection. This is who Paul is following. Through his example, Jesus invites us to embrace a life of purpose centered on loving God and loving others. Listen, church, when we follow Jesus' example, our lives take on a new meaning and a new significance. We align our purpose with his teachings, seeking to live lives characterized by humility, grace, and sacrificial love. This is who Paul is following. We strive to serve others, sharing the good news of salvation, Offering compassion and assistance to those in need. This is who Paul is following. Embracing a life of purpose like Jesus means walking in obedience to God's will. Even when faced with challenges and oppositions, right? It means living a life of selflessness. Putting the needs of others before our own. It involves using our gifts. Just like Jay has a gift for playing that. The keys. Using our gifts and our talents. For the glory of God and the betterment of all mankind. This is who Paul is following. 
Jesus was his ultimate example. Just as Jesus inspired his disciples and countless others throughout history, we too can be inspired and impact those around us by living with purpose. Do you live with a purpose this morning? Or are you just living? We can become vessels of God's love and grace, pointing others to the hope and salvation found only in Jesus. Right? Let me close out with this. Jesus is the perfect example of embracing a life of purpose. Jesus lived with unwavering commitment, sacrificial love, a deep desire to fulfill his mission here on earth. That's why Paul follows him. Following his example, we can discover our own purpose this morning. Find fulfillment to make a meaningful difference in the world as we walk in obedience to God and to love others selflessly, right? That's why he's able to write. Philippians 121, if you don't have it marked, mark it in your Bible. That's why Paul writes this. For to me, to live is Christ. To die, I gain him. Jesus. If you're here this morning, you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Quit cleaning yourself up. Quit thinking that you can come, you have to be clean, you have to be a good person. Even if you're a good person, you don't know Jesus. You really need him. As I pray, I want to give an invitation to you. If you don't know him, what are you waiting for? There's never a right time to come to God. 30 years I was lost in this world. God saved me when I was 30. Thank God I didn't die because I would be in hell. Separated from Jesus. But he was gracious enough to save me. And he can do the same for you. Quit thinking that you have to clean yourself. You come. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your spirit is so convicting. That your word is rich. Thank you for the life of Paul. His conversion, his transformation. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Who we come to. God, thank you that Jesus came to save this world. 
and he saved us. If you're here in this room, if you're listening online, and God has done a great work in you right now, just like he did for me, I didn't know what the preacher was talking about, but he gave an invitation. I know God's been working in your life, in your heart. He's orchestrated for you to be here this morning to save you. And it's your decision to come to him because he's waiting. If that's you this morning, I would invite you to please raise your hand. I just want to acknowledge you before God. Let you know that God loves you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die on that cross to take the pain, the shame, everything that you and I were supposed to take. He took it upon himself that you would be saved, separated from sin. If that's you this morning, please, please. Do not leave here, as Pastor Ben always says, do not leave here without reaching out to him. That's you this morning. Even if you're ashamed that you can't raise your hand, would you please, I beg of you, please, come to him this morning. Open your heart to him this morning. You could say a prayer like this. God, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. God, I don't come to a religion. I don't come to an organization. I come to a person. I come to Jesus. Jesus, would you please save me? Would you please cleanse me? Would you please help me? Thank you. Thank you for saving me today. Jesus, please direct my path. Direct my ways. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me this morning. If you're a follower of Christ, this message should encourage each one of us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Right? And if we haven't done that, to our family, to our co-workers, to all those who we know who we are surrounded by and they are lost, I encourage and I empower you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Take a bold step just like Ananias, just like Saul did. Let his spirit transform us and use us because life is short. It's but a vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow. What? Who have you taken to heaven with you? Ultimately, that's all that matters. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.